reading this morning from Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, clear out our minds, get the confusion out of our heads for right now, for this hour, help us to see Jesus in this passage. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Roger. And before we dive in, I want to thank you as a congregation. So I don't say this probably nearly as much as I should say it. Uh, It is a real, real privilege to preach God's word to people that are eager to hear it. I realize not every pastor has that privilege week in, week out like I do. And so I'm really, really grateful. I feel like you have, uh, you place great, great value on hearing from God's word. And um, even throughout this series, so we've been in the Sermon on the Mount for a while. I think we began in March. So we've been walking through this a while, but I've been just so encouraged by hearing from you, getting glimpses into your life, how God is using the truth of his word to change you, to shape your thinking, to shape your actions. So it's encouraging. The messages are tough. I think I, I've known the Sermon on the Mount and certainly have been familiar with so many of the verses and themes and concepts, but I don't think I'd felt like the weight of just reading it and kind of studying it in depth together over the last few months. So these haven't been easy messages, but I've, I've been encouraged that God's faithful to us even when it's not easy and he walks with us and gives us grace. And so I just want you to know how much I appreciate the opportunity I have Sunday after Sunday to preach God's word to people ready to hear. And I I pray, I've been praying this week, we'd be able to finish the Sermon on the Mount well this morning. I want us to begin by looking at that reaction. So I hope your Bibles are still open, but Matthew chapter 7 and verse 28, I want us to look again at the reaction that Roger just read for us. It says this, when Jesus finished these sayings, so he had been teaching and preaching what has been broken down in our English Bibles as three chapters. So chapter five, six, and seven, when he finished all these sayings, it says the crowds were astonished at his teaching because or for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not just as their scribes. So they were impressed by his teaching, but you can notice by that verse, it's not just his teaching. It's who is teaching it. It's his authority. As a matter of fact, John Stott said this, the main question that the sermon forces upon us is not so much what do you make of this teaching as who on earth is this teacher? Who is this teacher? We've called this series Upside Down. 
And the teaching certainly makes us think we, we have an upside-down perspective. But more than that, the authority of Jesus Christ as the teacher is the one who is taking our world and turning it upside-down. It's a person, a person who's claiming all authority to tell you and I how to live our lives. That, that's unlike a, any person that speaks with this authority. He comes down the mountain and everyone is dialed into the fact that whoever he is, whether they're even buying into the message, whoever he is, he's speaking with authority. I say all that because I wonder what your reaction this morning to the teachings and the words of Jesus. I wonder what your reaction is. I feel like we live in a time where it is hard to make sure that we're really listening. Jesus spoke. Jesus spoke words and crowds were blown away. That's like the, every PR campaign, that's their desire. That's their dream, isn't it? That, that the commercial would work in such a way that people would be blown away or the person putting together the opening ceremony of the Olympics or, or, or the person that is trying to entertain thousands. They want people to walk away blown away and hear Jesus has spoken. I wonder if you have that same reaction to Jesus. Are we really listening? Are we too comfortable with all the pleasures that we have, everything that God's given us that we really don't, we don't really find ourselves astonished by much of anything anymore, much less what Jesus has to say. I wonder when the last time you opened God's word or heard it taught and you were actually blown away, astonished by what he said, by his authority in saying it. I wonder if we're too distracted. Just about the time where we might hear, we might be dialed into what God has to say to us. I wonder if, oh yeah, there's that email I've got to answer. Oh yeah, I wonder what so-and-so posted in the group chat. Or I wonder who's tweeting what. Or, oh yeah, we've got, we've got this to take care of and that to take care of. And, and our minds are so distracted, we, we can't even hear Jesus speaking like they did that day. I, I think we live in such an age that it's harder and harder to be impressed, harder and harder to be astonished. We check that app or the newest version of this game. We, we wonder, am I accepted into this program or are my kids going to get into this school? We try to manage the schedule. Who's going where, when, and when will we all be at home? And when do we fit in the, the, the music lessons? When do we fit in Little League? And, oh, there's breaking news on TV. And uh, never mind the fact that it's the same news that's been running for the past week. But, oh, it's breaking news. Pay attention, pay attention. And everything is crying out for us to look, look, and pay attention. And we do. And we miss the fact that Jesus is speaking. God has to do a supernatural work. This is what I'm convinced of. God has to do a supernatural work for us to hear and listen. For it to go through our ears and land in our heart, this is only going to be because God does that. And I pray that God would do that all throughout the Sermon on the Mount in my own life and in the life of our church. But I've also been praying specifically for today. Are we listening to Jesus? Do we come to his teaching with a heart ready to conform our wishes, our actions with what he says? Are we coming to him realizing, blown away by the fact that he's speaking to us? Are we eager to receive it? With that in mind, the sermon ends in a very simple way. The whole sermon's been simple, but there's just a depth of it that I think lasts for obviously millennia now. But the, but the sermon ends so simply with an analogy, an analogy that I probably could grasp some, some element of this when I was in preschool and sang about the wise man building his house upon the rock. 
So there's something about this story that ends so, so simply, and yet there, there is so much, so much more going on. So as we enter into this analogy, let, let's hear what Jesus is saying. Jesus is telling us that every person is building their life. They're building a house. They're building a structure. We have so much distance from what it would have been like to actually build a house in those days. I can't imagine without the technology that we enjoy nowadays. I can't imagine what it would be like. My, my father-in-law is an excavator and a paver. I'm sure he would have much more insight into how, how complex this would be without all the, the amazing machines we have now. But Jesus says, all of us in this room are building our lives. Kind of we're building a house. The, the house is our life. And it looks like something. So all of us are, are building. There, there are things we value. There's things we're doing. There's places we're living. We're building. Here's our, here's our family. Here's, here's how I take my time and here's how I use it. Here's how I take my money, my resources. Here's how I use that. We have a career or we don't have a career. We have relationships that we're forming, friendships, and it's all making our life what it is. We're building for as many days as the Lord gives us. We have goals. We have ambitions. We're building what we have, what we don't, the emotions we feel, the good ones where we're, on, we're, we're just as high as can be because of what all, all the good things that are going on and the, the low points in our life. We're building. Something, something's being made with our lives. We have desires and attachments. People can see it. You can see how I'm choosing to build my life. I can see how you're choosing to build your life. We're all building. And it reveals itself over time exactly what we're building. But Jesus' point in this story, in this comparison, in this analogy, is not so much that we are building, but that everybody's building rests on something. That's where he's going, right? It's not just that we're building, but everything that we are building, all of our life, it's actually resting on something. You build your house on something. You build your life on something. The structure is sitting on something, a, a foundation, and the foundation is meant so it will rest on something that's secure, right? Something that will support it. Something that will give stability to it. So we're building our lives, and, and we want it to rest on something. The foundation will hold it all together and, and make sure it lasts. The, the foundation is meant to do this. So what am I counting on to hold the weight of my life? Big question, right? What am I counting on to hold the weight of my life and everything I'm going to put on for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years that you might live? What are you, what are you resting that on? What's going to hold it all together? Even cabinet problems or door problems often can be related to a poor foundation. What's going to give it the support? What's going to make sure it doesn't crack, it doesn't slide? It doesn't expose you to more elements? And this chapter really has an either-or scenario. Because what Jesus tells us is, first of all, there are only two foundations. There are only two foundations. Foundation number one. Foundation number one is life resting on the right response to Jesus and his words. Let's look at verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them 
will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So foundation number one is a rock. So there are only two, and one of those is a rock, and the rock is made up of hearing the words of Jesus and doing them, putting them into practice. It's so interesting to me the authority that Jesus is claiming. I can read this verse and kind of walk right through it and and read whoever hears and does these words of mine and not really give it a second thought. But then I, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you hear what Jesus just said? It would not have surprised us if Jesus said, whoever hears the words of the Torah, the instruction of the Old Testament. Whoever hears the words of God, we would expect that. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 4, just a few chapters earlier, Jesus was tempted by the devil and Jesus said, it is written, man, mankind shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that comes out of God's mouth. But did you notice what he said here? He's not contradicting. He's just telling us he's part of God's word. He is saying, who's ever hearing the words of mine? I I have the authority to speak for God. It's because he was God the Son in the flesh. The words that matter are his. As we listen closely, I mean, he's the one who's going to say, I have come on the scene to fulfill everything that was written beforehand. He's going to say, you heard it said, but I'm telling you, I'm saying to you. What amazing authority. If I were to tell you, everybody who hears and does the words of Curtis will have their life, you would rightly suspect, I I think we need to hit the door, find the exit. Because that's authority he shouldn't claim, he's just another human. But that's exactly the authority Jesus claims. He tells you how to run your life. He tells you what really matters with your life. It's amazing. Don't miss it. There's so many things that make up our life, but they rest on one foundation. And in the foundation is either this. The first foundation is building on Jesus, hearing his words, obeying them, putting them into practice. Our life takes shape based on what he says. And then there's foundation number two, and that's everything else. Any other way of living your life is foundation number two. And Jesus speaks to that. He says in verse 26, everyone, so it's a universal, everyone who hears the words that he's speaking and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So we have a hymn that reminds us of that. We sang kind of an adaptation of that today. On Christ the solid rock I stand. And then there's another foundation because all other ground, all other ground is sinking sand. Everything else is sand and Christ is the rock. It would have been work. It would have been work to lay a stone foundation, a rock foundation at that time period. And frankly, you could have laid that foundation and put another house right next to it on the sand and you probably wouldn't even been able to tell immediately. That probably to the eye would have looked the same. But how different they would have been. There really are two foundations. One is hearing and doing the work of Jesus. One though, did you notice what Jesus said? If you hear the word, but you don't do it. So you would think hearing the word would put us at a a tremendous advantage. And that is true. But I love this quote. It's by Frederick Dale Bruner. It says, Christians must not fool themselves into thinking that either hearing good teaching or studying the Bible are by themselves doing the will of the father. The father's will is that his son's word be heard in such a way that it is done. That the word so penetrates the ears that it reaches heart hands, lips, and feet. So frankly, you as I, 
you and I as Christians, we could even hear God's word, hear the words of Jesus, and not put it into practice. We might think, ah, I don't know that that's authoritative for my life. I, I, it's too dated. I mean, Jesus is pretty naive thinking anybody could live this. Ah, it's too hard. I, I, I don't think I want to do that. It's not really practical enough. It's, it's too spiritual. And we could find all the reasons in the world why we would hear the words of Jesus and not put it into practice. We could say, I think I know of a better way. And I think I'm going to live life the way I want to live. Yet Jesus assures us, you do that and it's foolish. It's foolish. So Jesus will put you to the test on this question. What is your life resting on? You're building something, we all are, and it's resting on one of two foundations. What gives meaning to your life? What is it resting on? What are some ultimate goals you have? What is it resting on? What is the dream you have? If I could get this, if I could get that, then this, then life would come together and I would have meaning. What's that relationship that you have or wish you had? What, what is it that you say, all my life, I'm, I'm really banking on this, two foundations. And then Jesus assures us of something else in this passage. Is there are two foundations, but make no mistake, each foundation will be put to the test. Every foundation will be put to the test. So regardless of how you build your life, it's going to be put to the test. Regardless of what meaning you you think, ah, this is the important thing. This is what you ought to wrap your life around. It'll be put to the test. Every foundation will. Verse 25 and 27 of Matthew 7 say the same thing. The rain falls, the floods come, the winds blow and beat on the house. Follow the analogy. The house sits on a foundation and then life happens. Life happens. Over time, the house settles on that foundation. Over time, a severe storm comes in and tests what that foundation is made of. Over time, like just life itself takes its toll on the structure of our life. There are consequences that play out with our lives. So, so sometimes I, I, I wonder, do we feel like if I, if I trust in Jesus, if I like pursue this Christianity thing, if, if I do that, then am I safely insulated from life? And I would say, absolutely not. None of us are. Every foundation is going to be tested. All of us are going to deal, whether you claim to be a Christian or not, all of us are going to deal with some tough, tough things in life. Ultimately, even Jesus has spoken of a final judgment. So talk about like whether, whether your foundation is going to last the test of time and time is eternity. And we stand before Jesus as he's pictured in Matthew 7, Jesus the judge. And your whole life, what you've constructed and your foundation is now brought under the scrutiny of Jesus Christ, God the Son, the one who has all authority. Will it hold? So, so maybe you're 12, maybe you're 82. Maybe you're just now starting to build your life the way you want it. Or maybe a lot of building your life is in the rearview mirror now. Maybe you're somewhere in between. Is it going to hold? Is it going to last? Jesus says this issue isn't even just like moral or immoral or right or wrong. Jesus says this is like a wisdom foolishness. There's a wise way to do this and there's a foolish way. 
how do we know what's wise and what's foolish? Well, you kind of have to fast forward to the end. And that's what Jesus reminds us. Not only are there only two foundations, but there are only two outcomes as well. I think that's the point of the whole parable, the, the whole analogy here. There are only two outcomes. For the person who built on the sand, here's the outcome. It all crashes down. It all falls apart. No security, no stability. Nothing lasts. And it ends tragically because it was a great fall, Scripture says. It was a great fall. The person who builds on the sand. But the person who built their whole lives on who Jesus is and what he says and doing the will of the Father through the authority of what Jesus has said. The person who built there, well, let's read what happens. It says in verse 25, the rain falls, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. And then just almost in a very understated way, it says, and it did not fall. It didn't even say, and it was the prettiest house on the block. All it says is it didn't fall. It didn't fall. It held on. It was secure. It lasted. It had the necessary stability to hold everything on it. This is actually encouraging because there's times where I feel like, if I had to rank, like, where's my faith on a scale one to 10? 10 being like super, super strong. There's times where I feel like, oh, it's nowhere near a 10. There's times where I feel like, I, th- I think we're just in survival mode. I was thinking about people that I greeted even after the first service, after the 8.30 service this morning, and oh, you get to know people over time, and you realize some of the stories of their lives are tough. They're actually not in a world where everything looks like it's thriving. Everything looks like it's coming together. Everything looks like it's so perfect. Actually, as you look maybe the next five, ten years of their life, they actually look pretty difficult. They look like they will be complicated and hard. But what Jesus says here is when you build your house, you build your life on him and his words and doing them, you actually have this security. And even when you don't see like your faith really taking off and you're struggling to survive, your faith lasts. You don't just give up on all this. You don't just, you don't just walk out on Jesus and all that he's done for you. Your faith survives. And, and I think you, you ask, okay, so what is it going to take for my faith to hang on? And Jesus says, you've got to listen to my words and you've got to put them into practice. So if you will, for, for just a moment, can we, can we go back and, and start at the beginning of his teaching here on the Sermon on the Mount and just, again, walk through, okay, so what has he told us to do? What has he told us to do? What, what did he say? If you put this into practice, your life isn't going to blow up. Jesus opened his mouth and taught them saying in Matthew 5, he started with blessings. So he pronounces nine blessings and the kind of one last one, a a strong affirmation at the end. And he says, this is what your life is going to look like. It's going to survive because with all his authority, he pronounces blessings on his followers. And he says, you're going to have the kingdom of heaven. You will be comforted You will inherit the earth. You will be satisfied. You will receive mercy. You will see God. You will be called the children of God. You will have a great reward in heaven. So even when it gets complicated, even when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, even when you're going through the most difficult times, your faith survives even the most painful of storms. 
Jesus says later on in that chapter that you are going to be lights in this dark world. And you think, my goodness, I I will stumble and fall and I'll be less than like a bright light. But Jesus says, I'm telling you, you are lights in this world. And this is what's going to happen. Your faith is going to survive and others are going to see your good works and they're going to give glory not to you, but to your father in heaven. Your faith is going to survive. And even in our struggle, we call out to the Lord and we say, hey, Lord, Lord, I want to do what you tell me to do. I want my righteousness to exceed that of, of pretenders, of Pharisees. I, I want to I follow you. And so we hear what Jesus says about our anger. And, and, and we adjust our life because of what he said. Or we hear what Jesus says about lust and we determine again to get back in the fight to destroy lust in our lives because we know what he said. We want to put into practice what he said. We speak truthfully with other people because we know that's what he's told us. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. We hang on to a marriage covenant because we know it matters to him. It matters to him. We, we don't retaliate when we're, when we're struck. We don't respond hating our enemy because he's told us to love our enemy. And in the midst of this, Jesus is telling us what to do. And as we do it, life unfolds. And sure, we have twists and turns with our faith. Surely it's not always great. Surely it's not always wonderful. Surely there are moments where we disobey, but our faith survives. The whole person is different. We listen to Jesus' words when he just kind of inserts himself into our relationship with God and says, this is the way it must be. This is the way it should not be. And Jesus says, when you pray, it's not for show. So just quietly, just pray to the Lord. And so we get up on a Monday morning, a little bit early, and we talk to our Heavenly Father, and he sees. He says, when you, when you, when you sacrifice, when you fast, don't do it so everybody can tell. And so there's a hundred quiet sacrifices we make that others aren't, aren't necessarily going, wow, you're amazing. No, nobody sees it, but our father sees it and we do it for him. He was the one that mattered all the time anyway. So we hear the words of Jesus and we see someone in need and we willingly give. We live on less so we can give away more. And we don't do that so other people will applaud us. We do this because he's told us to do it. We say, Jesus, we will follow you. We will do life your way and our faith survives. We lay up our treasures in heaven. We put our treasures in heaven and our heart follows there. We serve God. We don't serve money. We do this because Jesus told us to. And so even in the midst when our, our finances blow up and it doesn't look really good, we, we take a deep breath knowing, wait a minute, my treasure wasn't on earth to begin with anyway. God's going to be faithful here. My faith will survive. We're not anxious, even though we live in a world that presses just all sorts of our panic buttons. Like, oh my goodness, is this going to happen? We fear for our, our friends, certainly our family members. We care about this, that, and the other is this. We, we have worst case scenarios. And then wait a minute, we hear Jesus say, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. And we say, Lord, it's a struggle, but I, I, I'm going to hear you say not be, to not be anxious and I'm going to follow you. Because I know, I hear you, Jesus that I am valuable to my heavenly father. I'm going to walk outside and I'm going to look at field flowers and go, you take care of those, you'll take care of me. I'm going to look up at birds in the sky and go, you take care of them, 
Will you not take care of me? Our faith survives. God knows us. We live our lives seeking him. We pursue him. We wander and then God gets our attention and we pursue him again and we we get distracted and then God gets our attention and we pursue him and we continue to do this and then we notice like everything else has been added to us because we've been seeking him first. He's been our priority. God does such a deep work in our lives that we don't we don't look at others like maybe we're so tempted to do and that's judging you and judging you and finding fault there and fault there but God gives us mercy and we take off our our blinders to our own lives and we look and we see just the log, the plank in our own eye that God has been so merciful over the years to be patient with us, to work on our anger or our lust or our greed or our impatience. We say, I've got work to do on my own life and that makes us so ready to extend grace and mercy to help others. And in that moment, our faith survives. It doesn't crash. We ask and we receive. Well, of course we ask, and of course we receive, because this is what Jesus told us to do. This is exactly what he told us to do, so we do what he tells us to do. And our faith doesn't crash because we have a Heavenly Father who gives good gifts to his children, who looks at all of us, all of us, and knows this person's hurting, and I will give good gifts to them. This person just is devastated by this news. This person is walking through the painful season of a divorce, and I will be faithful to them in this. This person has just gotten their heart broken by this situation, and I will be faithful to them here. And we ask, and our Heavenly Father knows what we need even before we ask. Oh yeah, we may have to remodel this particular area of the house. We may have to refurbish this, but our faith doesn't crash. It survives because God cares about us. We enter a narrow gate and we only enter the narrow gate because the Holy Spirit opened our eyes to see it. We would have walked right past, but the Holy Spirit opened our eyes and we walk through that narrow gate and we walk on a narrow road. And we're so, it's so easy. We're prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. We're, we're prone to leave even the God we love. It's so easy to take a step off that narrow road. And maybe we wander and maybe we begin to take a little detour and God calls us back. And in that moment, our faith survives. It hangs on. We walk a narrow path. And because we walk a narrow path, because we know Jesus always wants what's best for us. You know who benefits from that? Our children and our grandchildren benefit from not having to pick up the pieces of a life that we blew up. God gives grace. We listen to the true prophet. And he tells us this is what it's going to look like for your life to flourish. And because we're listening to him, we don't shrivel up and live a cranky, angry, cynical life. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Who cares? But we live a life where we flourish decade after decade after decade. And our faith survives. And then our lives wrap up here on earth. I don't know how many days it is. You don't either. How many days is the Lord going to give you? How many, how many more years? How many decades? But then one day it all wraps up. We get close to our last days. I don't know exactly what it'll be like. But imagine that first, first glimpse of Jesus Christ who we have taken our life and just rested it on him. 
And we cry out to him, Lord, Lord. And this could have gone very, very differently. He could have said, depart from me. I never knew you. Who, what's your name? I never knew you. But instead we hear something very, very different. We hear from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, enter in, enter into my joy. Enter into rest. Well done. You have overcome. You overcome not just because you're strong. You overcame because I gave you strength. You overcame because I was there with you. You overcame because my Holy Spirit walked you all the way home. And in that moment, we hear, well done. The battle's done. The rest is eternal. And we hear Jesus say, I died for you to enjoy this forever, forever, forever. And in that moment, it'll be so, so clear Our faith has survived. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on our house. That was life. That's the way it went. But everything that we lived for did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The first hearers of this sermon heard Jesus and they're astonished. And they walk down the mountain and they are blown away. But in that moment, it would have been very clear in their mind that following Jesus would require you and I to submit to him. I think, I think we can easily get it wrong in our time. We kind of think, well, I'll just make up my spiritual life as I go. But you don't dictate your terms to Jesus. You, you don't in the Sermon on the Mount. You don't today. You don't kind of piecemeal it together how you're going to do this thing called life. You bow the knee to Jesus and say, your will be done. That's what a follower of Jesus does. Right now, what is your life resting on? What, what is, like, what's holding it together? And is it going to last? Is it, is it going to last the scrutiny of that last day when you meet Jesus Christ himself? Is it going to last there? So the followers of Jesus are listening and there's... John and Peter, and they're going to have ups and downs in their lives, and their faith is going to last. There's Thomas, and Thomas is going to wonder if the whole thing's true, but his faith is going to survive. And then there's Judas, and his life is going to fall apart. And there's Andrew and James. And what if you're there? What's going to happen here? So many there were astonished by his authority, but they had a real choice to receive or dismiss what he's saying. You do too. They had a really clear choice. They could either follow him or go their own way. You can too. And what I plead for you is to join that steady stream of people since Jesus first preached these words, probably in 30 AD, who said, I am not only impressed by your authority, I'm not just blown away by that. I want to follow you. I want to do what you say. I want to respond in faith, obedience, and repentance to you. And those who follow him, their lives are never the same. Your life, your life will never be the same. What are you resting your life on? I invite you to take a moment and think about it. I ask you to bow your head. In a moment, we'll sing. But for now, where, where does life rest for you? Maybe it's as simple as you're, you're not a 
follower of Jesus Christ. And so there is no foundation. Or maybe you say, Curtis, I am a follower of Jesus, but I found like I'm putting other things down on that foundation to hold up my life. And the Lord's revealed that to me. You feel convicted. There's mercy with the Lord. The Lord invites you here this morning to hear his words and put them into practice. Father, would you help us? Would you give us grace to do that? It's heartbreaking to see a life blow up. It will be devastating to see that for eternity. Give us grace to hear today. Give us courage to obey. Give us hope to see past the excuses we might come up with for why we would rather put it off. Jesus, I thank you that you have all authority in this place. I pray that you would work your will with that authority and that we would bow our knees to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.